I'm going to start off by showing you a picture. That's me and Heather. Oh, come on, a little more than that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We are so cute. <laughs> Heather and I were married in May of 2011. And uh, when we got married, obviously, we had all the same plans that newlyweds have. Uh, we uh, wanted to start this life together. We wanted to build a home. We wanted to travel a lot, actually. Heather and I love to travel. Um, and we wanted to do all that before starting a family. We also had kind of the less desirable task, uh, but still exciting, of, uh, as we were getting married, a career change for both of us. Um, I was feeling and sensing that call to ministry for full-time vocational ministry. And so I uh, looked for that position, and it eventually led me to my first call at Princeton Covenant Church. Princeton, Illinois, and that was in November of 2011. So a lot of things were happening at the beginning of our marriage, including we had a tiny little apartment that we moved into. And I mean it when I say tiny. I was actually going to show you a picture of that too, but it was actually embarrassing. <laughs> so it was really small, really, really small apartment. Uh, it was our first real place. It was, it was the home that we, had, we were setting up together uh, as we, we started this life um, on our own. Um, but at this point, we're, we're getting started with this ministry, and I remember one night... Very clearly, uh, we, I came home from, from the office from a day working on whatever it was, and uh, we had dinner together, and after dinner I sat on the couch just to kind of relax for the evening, as I would, and um, Heather tells me that she went to the library that day, and I'm like, oh, so they let you in. Um, I was, thought that she was on a do not give a library card to list, because Heather is notorious for never returning books. I just figured they must have like a band for life list somewhere, but they let her in, and uh, she got a couple books, and she wanted to show me one, so I'm like, okay, whatever, so she hands me a book, and I don't remember the exact title, and I asked her, and I didn't get it, you still don't remember? Okay, I still don't remember, I don't remember the exact title, but it was something along the lines of, uh, what to expect when you're becoming a new dad, <laughs> to which I was like, completely like, like, what? What is this? It took me a couple seconds. Eventually, it hit me, and I was just shocked. No emotion, didn't know what to think, didn't know what to do. She starts crying like happy tears. I start crying like real tears, like a fear <laughs> and panic. I'm like, we just moved here. We just started this new life. We just started all these things. I just got new insurance, thank goodness, because we're going to need that now. <laughs> like, all of this stuff is new and fresh, and now, now I... I'm going to become a dad, too? Like it, just, it seemed like so much so fast, I didn't quite know how to handle it. And if you've been through a similar experience like that before, you kind of know the, the feeling that I'm getting for, or getting to there. It was, a, it was a revelation to me, or like as we've been talking about, it was like an apocalypse of my life and what I knew. It was a, a new truth of what life was going to be, and, and uncovering and a revealing of what the rest of my life was going to look like. That nothing would ever quite be the same. There's this thing about uh, revelations like this. This revelation for me, it, it didn't just happen in this one moment. Um, it wasn't like one and done. It was a process. Not only just experiencing that moment, but then also as the moment came to reality. Uh, and, and the whole truth was revealed of what actually was going to happen. I didn't have any clue. That's why she gave me the book. So I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. Um, it was a process that for me took the next nine months, as it does. Um, of watching and helping my wife walk through pregnancy um, until we were led to, on July of two, 2012, the birth of our first son, Sean, who is 10 now, by the way, 
which is exhausting. <laughs> While this moment uh, was, was big, the, in the moment that I found out I was going to be a dad, the moment that happened when my son was born was the true apocalypse. When my world just blew up and I saw my boy for the first time. I'm really glad that my sister-in-law took this picture because I, I was not in a place to do that, but that was my boy, Sean. We uh, unfortunately had to, to uh, go the route of a C-section. It was not our, our plan or our hope, um, but uh, as God does, it led to a very special moment for me, a very important moment. That while they were finishing the procedure, I got to take Sean into the nursery and just hold him for like two hours straight. It was emotional, it was exciting, it was terrifying, but it was my apocalypse. My world was never going to be the same. Something new was unveiled. I I had a new calling in life. And nothing was ever going to be the same in a good way. This this new role of being a father was going to change me. And I would live every moment from then on choosing to live into that role the best I possibly could. That's the change that it did in my life. Changed everything about me. and Every single day after that was different. That's the nature of revelation. That's uh, where we find ourselves in this uh, walk through Ephesians in chapter 4. Pastor Stacy and Pastor Kristen, past several weeks, have been uh, talking about this revelation from Paul. That uh, what was unveiled to him, this apocalypse of a new reality of, of God's love and grace poured out in Christ Jesus to establish this kingdom here on earth with us. Now, Pastor Stacy last week talked about how Paul concluded this three-chapter revelation, and it was a, a prayer. It was a, a prayer that God, who is beyond anything that we can fathom, will fill us to the measure of the fullness of God. The measure of the fullness of God, who is, who is the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. And then Paul concludes it with his prayer with an amen. And so we begin in chapter 4. Many translations uh, translate it like was read here this morning. Chapter 4, verses 1 says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then. And it sort of tosses the the then and kind of writes it off a little bit. But the, the Greek actually started with the then, and that's important. The, the Greek word is the word un, and it means, uh, more, more so it's translated to therefore. Therefore meaning that like, because of all of that, all of that, that that Paul just laid out and spelled out, because of all that, now this. This is the result. I just told you this, now here's what you do with it. Therefore, it's a, it's a huge transition in what he's trying to accomplish in sharing this revelation of who Christ is and what he has done. He begins this section with therefore. And then he starts with his thesis for what's going to play out in the next three chapters. His thesis goes on uh, as a statement that says, I urge you all to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you all, church, followers of Jesus, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This calling was, was what he described in, in the first three chapters. And it's a calling that's for all of us, all believers. 
A revelation that should change everything. It should change the way we live our lives every single day. Like my revelation of becoming a father. Like the revelation we learned about from Moses when he saw this burning bush. I love how often the children's message just ties so well into where we're going for the day. Uh, A revelation of this immense love and grace of Jesus. It should cause us to live a life that is worthy of such a calling. A former professor and mentor of mine, he taught me one of the most um, important for me, the the core principles uh, that you can find throughout Scripture, truth you can find throughout Scripture. And he said that that if you truly believe something, it must change the way you live. If you truly, deep down in your core, if you truly believe it, it must change the way that you live. That's what Paul is getting at here with this big therefore statement, this I urge you statement. If that revelation that he just spelled out of, of truth about who Jesus was and what he did, if you truly believe and trust in that, you should live your lives as if you do, worthy of such a calling, as if you believe it. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's a temptation in hearing this. It goes back to the old argument that uh, has divided too much. The old argument of salvation by grace versus works. That's not what we're going for here. That's not what Paul's going for. This is just a statement of truth. It's not that you must earn such a gift of God's love and grace It's that truly believing and receiving such a gift, it will cause you to live differently. And from this point on, as Paul continues on the rest of Ephesians, Paul lays out what it means and what this should look like for all of us. It's a high calling. It's a high calling that should shift our our being. In fact, it's... It's a matter of forming and shaping our identity into Christ's likeness. It's really what it's about. A former North Park Theological Seminary professor and theologian, well-known, Klein Snodgrass, um, says that, that Paul might as well have said life or live a life that is worthy of your identity. As the rest of the book, that's what it does. It explains what this new identity lived out looks like. So I want to read a quote real quick from uh, Dr. Snodgrass's book, um, Who God Says You Are. Um, and it's a longer quote, so I want to read it all to you, because I think it's really good, and it really gets to what we're saying here. He says, Being a Christian assumes a commitment to do the will of God, and such a commitment defines us. Suddenly it's clear why worship, Christian rituals, and obedience are so important. Actions define us. When this is understood, there is no antithesis between faith and works. Humans cannot live without acting. Identity assumes an agent acting and being held responsible. You will work. The question is whether you work in accord with faith or unbelief. In accord with your Christian identity or as though your identity were elsewhere. When faith is understood as identity in Christ then works are not separable actions, but the necessary living out of that identity. Again, this, is, this isn't about earning grace. It's about what we do when we receive it. When we receive such grace 
and our lives are turned upside down. And the truth is revealed, and we become followers of Jesus. Now, verse 1 translates, uh, live a life worthy of your calling, but the actual words that are used in Greek uh, would better translate to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The word walk is an action word. It requires intention and effort and movement. Uh, Paul is, is going to use this theme of walking in multiple times in the rest of Ephesians um, to highlight that faith is not passive. We must be active in pursuing and living out this Christian identity. Now, well, we have several chapters. We're going to be going through this for the next several weeks of what this identity looks like. Um, I think it is critical and important to recognize that the very first thing that Paul highlights is the way in which that we live in our Christian identity is what he says in these first couple verses of chapter 4. Starting in verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Each one of these things, these things in which you're supposed to, to walk in as one identified in Christ, they're communal in nature. Being humble relates to how you will carry yourself compared to others. Be gentle, which insinuates how you will treat and deal with others. Be patient, bearing one another in love. I mean, this is this one's a little more obvious. Uh, it's it's it relates to how you live in community. Make every effort, effort being an action word again, this is not a passive faith, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. From the onset, Paul's saying that to live into our Christian identity is to intentionally pursue unity with the other. And I'm not defining the other here. Neither does Paul. Not saying uh, to other Christians or to other people like you or people that you agree with or people that you get along with or people that um, you earn authority so you have to get along with them. The other is just the other. It's whoever, whoever it may be, whoever it is that Christ desires to be a part of his body, which as we know is everyone. The next couple of verses, they lay this out and they say the why. The why is because there is one body of Christ. One spirit, just as we are all, just as we all were called to one hope when we were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, this is where Paul drops the mic a little bit. He says, this is it. This is the only thing that should be bringing us together. Everyone is welcome to this. Paul is saying that living out our Christian identity means Active pursuit of unity in his one church. Active pursuit of unity with all those who God created and all those that God is calling to be a part of his body, which is everyone. It's also important to recognize that the calling is to unity and not to uniformity. Which I think is something Pastor Stacy mentioned a couple weeks ago. Too often we get those two mixed up. Uh, all the ones that are here, which is more of a uniformity statement, all the ones are not talking about us. They're talking about God. They're talking about the sole purpose, the reason that we are drawn together into this oneness. But in the next few verses, 
uh, it begins to actually talk about different roles and gifts that are given within this calling. Specifically, he's talking about gifts to be used to bring about unity. Like it says in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, using the same words from chapter 3. Simply, God, Paul is basically telling us that we are called as a body of believers to become God's holy people in the most complete and full way that we possibly can. What does that mean in relation to this call to unity? It's about being unified in purpose and direction and seeking to become who God has made us to be. And this all sounds good. This sounds like a good mission statement for the church. Sounds like a no-brainer. But I think there's a reason that Paul starts with this. Because I think it's a lot harder when we try to put it into action. I believe this call is far more difficult than, than what we're called to, or than, than what we make it seem when we get together. Obviously, simple unity can be difficult, as we've seen in our world around us. The more people, the more voices you have, the harder it is to stay rooted in the essentials and not be divided and split over the little things, the little hang-ups, the little disagreements, the things that aggravate us about one another. But I think that what Paul is calling us to here is actually deeper than that even. This is uh, probably the biggest takeaway that I want us to, to walk away with this morning. So that this passage, this call is really about identity. Our identity as a body of Christ. It's also about our identity as individuals. Uniquely called and uniquely gifted. Too often we have defined what our identity looks like just by our most immediate circle of influence in our lives. Too often we, we see those close to us, those that look like us, and think that that's how it's supposed to be. And the challenge comes when we begin to start considering the diversity that is intended in our identity as the body of Christ. When people of different cultures, different heritage and background different circles of influence, difference, differences in appearance, race, gender, physical differences, age, even abilities or disabilities. When people who are different from us come into play, we, the, the Christian church in our world, tend to go about the route of uniformity. We want to shape the other into our likeness first before allowing them to be shaped into Christ's likeness. We want them to listen to our kind of worship, do our kind of prayers, like our kind of ideas, do our kinds of ministries, and so on. I think it's because we don't understand the heart of unity, the heart of unity that is, is being spoken about here. I know for me in my life, my dad was a Marine, um, and I was raised in, with this kind of nationalist perspective, this Military mindset. Um, my dad would say there's, there's no black and white. A Marine is all green. And I, I thought this was healthy growing up. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I grew up learning about America and the United States of America and this concept of this melting pot, right? And people from all over the world coming together into this melting pot to create a new people, the Americans, 
And all that sounded right. It sounded unifying. But here's the downside of the melting pot. When you put things in a melting pot, the idea is that it melts down everything to the most basic state. Burning and sifting away all the things that make individual things. And it creates a singular substance. I don't think that quite fits into a Christ's body as it's spoken about by Paul, by Jesus himself. Like in Romans 12, 4, where it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each individual member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It's a lot of the same terminology that we see in Ephesians 4. Paul knows that Christ's likeness and Christ's body is only complete when there is diversity in the body, all functioning and supporting one another within the same body. So it's for this reason I stopped liking the melting pot idea. Instead, I I moved to thinking of it like more of a, a hearty fall stew or chili. I know it's silly, but I like, the, I like the visual of it. I like how in these, these different foods, you got uh, different individual things coming together. You still have a mixing of flavors, which I always think about like in Ratatouille when he like takes two bites of things and it makes like music above his head. Like you mix it together and it's, it's good. You love the mix of flavors, but there's also still uniqueness of texture. You can still tell the individual parts, different colors, Different items all together, but they still mix together, but they stay individual. I like that idea. This is the difference between unity and uniformity. In the unity that comes from Christ, your goal is not to discredit anything that would make you different or only care about the common belief or mission. Rather, the goal is to actually value and appreciate and pursue these things that make us different. Like cultures, heritage, different circles of influence, differences in appearance, race, gender, age, physical likeness, ability, and disability. Our call is to such a diversity, such a diverse unity. Our identity is only complete with a diverse unity. And in this message, From Paul, he establishes that to live into this call, if you truly believe this, to walk in the manner then that is worthy of such a call, to live in the full knowledge of this revelation of who Christ is and what he has done, to do that, it starts with a kind of unity that is centered around one God, but extends to all the intentional diversity, valuing and pursuing all the people that Christ has called and is calling to be his holy people. May we, his church, as believers who find our identity as the body of Christ, may we respond to this revelation of who God is by being the kind of people that seek the diversity that is found in all the mosaic of people that God created, all the people he has called beloved, in his human creation. May we too find ourselves becoming the full 
and complete body that God desires us to be. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for those who you've called to share these revelations with us. We thank you for um, the bravery of Paul to take this revelation and bring it to your church that we all may see it and hear it and then be moved by it enough to live as though we believe such a call. To live as though we believe that you are who you say you are. To live as though when you called us to love, we want to then love. Help us to be those people, God. Help us to live more fully into who you made us to be. So that your church will reflect the diverse mosaic of your human creation. Pray all these things this morning in your name. Amen.